Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, we've got with some returning guests, Bill and Jackie Casulas. They were on with us before, actually talking about um, about their paranormal um, thing. I want to—I forgot to check this one. Uh, I, just, I think it's phenomenal. Phenomenology Research Professionals, if I'm not mistaken. Now, they will let me know if I got that wrong, but I'm, we're going to hope that my memory served me correctly there. But uh, December 15th, 1967 um, became something that the Ohio River um, Valley area would soon, you know, never forget. It became something that it galvanized communities around it um, through just just everything from Neighbors helping neighbors uh, because uh, at just an unexpected moment, uh, the Silver Bridge collapsed, taking with it many, many vehicles. Um, if I, I'll check with them to double check, but I want to say 46 people was um, lost their lives that night. And over 150 American Red Cross um, volunteers, National Guard, I mean, everybody pitched in trying to dredge the waters trying to save who they could and try to um, try to help where they could and it just it became something that point pleasant um west virginia and you know that it they just became something that just overnight they just they were on the map i mean they just you know this became something that and as it's grown this has become something that which is the key part of the book that bill and jackie have done bridging the tragedy the silver linings in the mysterious Ohio River Valley is his one of his special um, specialties is positive psychology, and one of them is post traumatic um, growth, and that's one. So when you've suffered some severe trauma, you know it's it's kind of the if and from what my take of it was, this is the something that why did why are there people that suffer these major traumatic things but yet they come out of it with a very positive outlook like you know things have changed themselves they they are at a point where this is what you know this is what we need to do we need to come together they don't sit there and just close down and they're they like they push on and it's it's something that is definitely worth looking into it's like why what makes one person shut down and the other person you know persevere and keep going and that's one of the things we brought them on that's this book, like I said, Bridging the Tragedy, it talks about that. You know, it with, has um, many interviews of actually people that firsthand recollection of what happened, what they experienced, and what their take was and how that's affected their lives. And so enough of me bloviating about this. Let's bring on the people that actually wrote the book so they can actually do a better job than I am. Bill and Jackie Kosulas are right now. <laughs> Welcome to the Three Beards Podcast. My name's Craig, along with Austin and Chris. Passed to a new generation of Americans born in this century. Let me out.
justice and honor in Massachusetts Colony? Let's bring on Mark Eddy. He is the special guest host tonight because it's going to be just me, me, the one beard tonight. Um, but before we that's do anything, some, we're going to stop. Yeah. I'm going to zoom in for people to see that right now. It just looks really shiny. <laughs> Smooth. But hey, before we go too much further, I want everybody in the chat room, everybody to um, give a, you know, a happy anniversary thing to Mark and R Renee. That is their anniversary. So every, happy anniversary to you, sir. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm you know, hopefully not getting in trouble being on the show. I mean, it's, it is your anniversary. So, I mean, it's, you know, oh, appreciate it. All right. So, so let's, let's bring on the guests here. Let's, I've kept them in the green room long enough. I'll try to make it seem more special than it is. How are you both doing tonight? Very good. Thank Excellent, you. gentlemen. Congratulations, Mark. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Greg, good to see you yes. again. Yes. I, well, thanks for being back on. And I said, it's, it's time. Did I get the name of your group correct? Yeah. Yeah, you did. You did. Yes. yes. All right. I, the, whew, I dug deep for that one. It was just like, it was that deer in headlights moment. It's like, oh, no, I forgot. It. <laughs> you nailed it, man. You got it. All right. So, yeah. So, okay. What did I, did I get it right? Did I miss anything in that little introduction about kind of what happened, what happened. And if I did just kind of take it from there, fill in like for people, what happened? Well, I think Craig, the bottom line is that the whole, the whole book, the whole premise of the book was to be able to talk to the people who had experienced the silver bridge collapse, as well as some of the Mothman and Mothman related phenomena that took place in the Ohio river Valley in 1966 and 67. So the culminating event there, you know, the most important and biggest most traumatic thing that happened, obviously, was the Silver Bridge disaster. And at 5.04 p.m. on Friday, December the 15th of 1967, the, the bridge was totally packed. Both lights were red, meaning both sides of traffic had stopped. So this bridge was loaded with 18-wheelers, big cars, way too much weight for what it was constructed to carry 40 years before that. And it collapsed. And yes, 46 people did lose their lives. Wow. God, yeah, it's, that's when you guys described it. It was just the scene, you know, because you could picture the scene. I mean, there's photos. I, I don't think there's any photos that actually show it, but I mean, everybody described all the packages floating in the river, the other debris. Um, you've got, I put some on the banner, it showed some of the photos of the thing, and I, I couldn't help. I had to sneak, you know, sneak the Mothman in, you know, on the picture just because that's, you know, when everybody th thinks Point Pleasant, you know, that brings up, you know, and that's, but that was one of the things like I, I, when I was looking at this, while this is this is mentioned a few times, this book doesn't really discuss, you know, and cover anything in the way of like Mothman, the Mothman prophecies or anything. It was just is basically you had some people that during your interview process, you know, you would ask them these questions. But this book is this one is not geared towards that part. This is simply looking at, like I was saying, what takes place with somebody after they've experienced these traumatic things and like how, how they coped. And one of the things I did notice through most of the interviews that you guys did, it seemed to be a real common theme where people were, don't let, don't let moments go to waste. Make sure, you know, tell your, tell your family, you love them. Tell, you know, don't, don't wait till tomorrow. 
it's not going to be, you know, there's a good chance it's not going to be there. And that's one of those things I seem, seem like almost every interview that was almost like the prevailing theme with everybody that you talked with. One of the people that we talked to mentioned uh, just to make sure, like you said, to tell people that you love them because these kinds of things, even though you always think that a major disaster is not going to affect me, I think it was Marva Bailey who said it. She was interview number nine or 10. And she said, the saying that it doesn't happen here is wrong. It does happen here. It did happen here. We lost people. We lost people we knew. It can happen and it will change you. But weird secret. I had a moth flying around my truck. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Stay away from bridges. <laughs> God. Uh, that's no, I, I, one of those in, I think just through a lot of the stuff, when, when you guys set out to do these interviews, did you have, cause part of the book, like, um, I'm trying to remember what page it starts on. Um, you get into where it's, I think it's, I think it's chapter starting in chapter six. Yeah. The, where you start getting into the conclusions and then you start actually getting into, through there, you actually get to the part where you start looking at the data points, you know, like what you've, what you've discovered and stuff. Was that what you set out to do? Um, I think that's how I was set out to do uh, uh, when you were going through this interview process that you wanted to collect this data or did it, um, was this kind of like something that just fell into your lap as these things were happening? You're like, this is stuff that, Hey, we can correlate this and actually start to do something off this with these with this data. But that was our plan. We did, we did plan on finding what um, post-traumatic growth was. Um, I'm trying to find the words. Um, I know. The, the most common, the most common denominators basically. So when the interviews were broke down into codes. I, I should let Bill talk about this because he's actually the psychologist and he can explain that better as far as the coding and how many we had. And there was three different processes that before we got to that point. So um, why don't you tell him? Yeah. So, and the premise of the study really was to focus on the good things that came from the terrible trauma of the bridge disaster. But we also had a second set of questions that pertain to the Mothman and to other paranormal phenomena, because we wanted to cover mm -hmm. both things, not because we believe that one of them necessarily affects the other, but they're so intertwined historically and they've become part of legend that we felt that we needed to address both issues. So the goal was let's, let's not focus on the bad stuff that came from the trauma. We knew people died. We knew the town was economically devastated. These are ideas we had going in, but the way we formulated the questions was specifically designed to be able to get the responses from the people who actually experienced it firsthand, secondhand, lost family members, saw Mothman, what have you. We wanted their response. So what we did is we, we employed a technique known as bracketing. And what bracketing means is, yeah, Jackie and I have been fans of Point Pleasant and Mothman for 20 years. We know a lot of people in the community. We have our ideas about things, but this book is not about us. It's about them. So we kind of bracketed our own experience out of the equation and formulated our questions, tailored them towards the individuals so we could get their really unadulterated responses without our influence, if that makes sense. And then, yeah. There's just some of the, just kind of reference thing or something. 
what we were talking about right there. It's just like they have a few pages of the ones where it just breaks back, you know, the initial codes, the focus codes, and you just went through and you broke, you know, in this whole, it's, it's basically, it's, it's a nice, I mean, it's a, when I first opened out, I'll tell the people about the book because I, I was not expecting it to be a literal transcript of interviews. I was actually, you know, when I saw it, I'm like, okay, they're going to describe this thing. When I went there, it was actually, I was pleasantly surprised because from, right out from the beginning, like I said, it's just, it goes through and it's a complete transcript. I mean, let's see if I can do it here. Got it. Right there. You just have it, where it just breaks down who the interviewer is, who the interviewer is, who is doing, you know, so that one right there was, was Jackie asking the questions of in this interview i think it was mark griffin is it was that who mg was and all the uh interviewees um proofread the transcripts so you know you, you you were looking for the authentic words that they use to describe what they saw? Primarily, yes. Now, we, we did edit things out to a certain degree. Um, we could have done a better job of that, specifically with the interviews themselves. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we actually, between the two of us, probably invested 40 to 60 hours just cleaning the, those up. But what we wanted to do is maintain the integrity of the statements in the voice of the people mm -hmm. who spoke them but we wanted to have them closer to being grammatically correct. But I think I missed a capitalization here in a period there. And that happened more often yeah. than I care to admit, but it's the truth. It is. Well, it's, it's one of those. I mean, it's, uh, I think anybody, we joke about that with a few books, anybody that that's their, that's their breaking point on a book is that there wasn't a, the period was in the wrong place. I'm like, come on. I'm, I'm like, the whole point of it was right there. It's like, everybody is not expecting this thing to be, Hey, it's just, I'm like, just enjoy the book. I mean, that was the whole point. But one of the questions I told Mark, I was trying to figure out how to do this. So out of all the interviews, did you have anybody with a real negative thing? I mean, where it's literally like the door salesman just slam the door on your face, you know, just like, you know, get lost. I don't want to talk about this. Did you guys have anybody with that or was everybody pretty open to talking about this? Everybody was very open about talking about the, the bridge collapse. We did have a few people that didn't really care to talk about Mothman, the um, UFO has been in black, anything paranormal. They didn't believe in it and they didn't want to discuss it. I think maybe only one person that didn't really want to discuss that. Um, but for the most part, everybody was very open about um, both sides of it. And maybe, maybe we could explain a little bit about how we went about getting the participants for the study. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, please do. So what we did, um, let's just back you up about six years ago. So Jackie and I decided to go on vacation and we chose to go to Point Pleasant back in around July of 2016. And when we showed up to town on a Friday night, there was nothing going on because Point Pleasant's a small little community. And unless it's Mothman Festival weekend, there's not a heck of a lot going on after five o'clock, we, we got to town, I want to say 5.30 or so. And, you know, we saw the Mothman statue. I was in awe of the whole thing. I mean, just so excited to be there. But um, everything was closed down. Except Did you do the tradition, though? Pardon Did me? Did you do the tradition? Everybody is suddenly, it seems the Mothman tradition is everybody's got to go up there and take a picture and touch the butt. 
Yeah, well, we didn't touch the butt, but we did take pictures. <laughs> yeah. like, of reach, all things, you just you see people taking the picture, and they got their hands on Mothman's butt, and I'm like, nice. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> that became a thing. We didn't know it until like the last year or two. Yeah, so, so yeah. sorry, I, I digress. I'm That's sorry. okay. That's okay. <laughs> so Jackie was across the street from the Mothman Museum in front of a place called uh, Harris's Steakhouse. Do you want to tell them a little bit about our experience there? Well, we were walking down the street, just checking out Point Pleasant because it was our first time there. And as we walked past the Mothman Diner, I saw a little lady standing in the window. And I said to Bill, I think there's the lady in the window that wants to talk to us. And he just kind of kept strolling. And I said, no, I think that she really wants to talk to us. I think we need to go back and go inside. So we did. And um, she did want to talk to us. And her name was Carolyn Harris. And she was the owner of the Steakhouse Mothman uh, Diner. And we spent every day at that diner on our first trip while we were there. Um, just talking with Carolyn and learning about Mothman, UFOs, uh, Men in Black, all kinds of stuff. She was she the bird, you know. She called it the bird, um, mm -hmm. but she refused to talk about the bridge collapse. And we found out later, after we had gone to the River Museum and bought the Silver Bridge book, that her son Timmy was in that book. He was two years old and he went down with the bridge, and that's why she didn't talk. About it. She was a co-founder of the Mothman Festival with Jeff Wamsley. And um, she promoted the heck out of the Mothman, but the Silver Bridge, no. Well, yeah, she that was, would be one of those traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but to back up a little bit to what your question was, in that same first night that we were there, we met Carolyn, we met Mark Griffith. And as you can see from the book, since you guys have both read that, the very first interview in the book was Mark mm -hmm. Griffith. I told Mark when we met him in 2016 that I was going to write a book about Point Pleasant, and I asked him if he wanted to be in it. Now, I didn't know, guys, at that point in time, anything more about it, except I knew that I wanted to write a book about Point Pleasant. He said, okay, and he shared with us, he said, you know, I lost my younger brother back when I was in high school. You know, He died at 15 years old, and in addition to that, he also had twins who both died as well, and he went to his car, and he got a letter that he had written to God and he shared that with me on our very first visit. So we knew then and there that we had we had created a special bond with these two people and vice versa. And they became very important to us. So we got Carolyn's phone number. We got Mark's phone number. We got connected to Mark on Facebook. And we went back home after our trip. And I figured it was going to be one of those mountaintop experiences. I made it to the Mecca. I mean, I was there. I was in Point Pleasant. Mm -hmm. went to the TNT area. I talked to Carolyn Harris. I met Jeff Wamsley. We had a wonderful time there, but I had to go back to my workaday world. I had a full-time job. I was a graduate student. We were raising our granddaughter. We're juggling like everybody else is. And the long and short, short of it is I told Jackie on Christmas Eve, like five months later, I said, you know, we've got Carolyn's phone number. Let's call her up. I, I'm going to see if I can, if, if she'll let me write her story. And so Jackie said, okay, maybe after the first of the year. The next day on Christmas, Mark sent us a message and told us that Carolyn had had a heart attack. The next day, oh. Mark got a hold of us and told us that Carolyn had died. So this lady who we met and spent a couple hours with every day on our first trip, we just fell in love with her. We felt like she was a long lost aunt or somebody that we had finally committed. This is what we wanted to do is to, to work with her to tell her story. And she was gone. So over the years after that, we continued to go back to Point Pleasant annually, and we maintained the friendship with Mark. 
And I knew from Mark's trauma what he had been through, and we both knew that, but we kept up with Mark more than anybody else. And as I completed my doctorate and was ready for the next project, we came up with the idea of applying the concept or the psychological construct of post-traumatic growth to Point Pleasant and the bridge collapse and the Mothman. So the way we got our, our participants was Mark was, he was totally on board. He recommended a gentleman by the name of Rick Hanley. I got connected to Rick. He and I talked. He was on board. Then we got a hold of Ashley Wamsley, who is Jeff Wamsley's daughter. She helps him run the Mothman Museum. She said, you know what? I love your idea. You guys are coming to the Mothman Festival. So now all of a sudden we've got to write a book because we're presenting it at the Mothman Festival. Oh, yeah. So it's now we're scramble scared. time. <laughs> now stuff got real, real quick. So I said, Ashley, this is great, but I don't have a lot of participants. What do we do next? She said, get a hold of Beth Surgeon. Beth Surgeon runs the newspapers locally. Let her know what you want to do. And hi, Laura, how are you? Let her know what you want to do and then have a conversation with her, see if she's game. So she was really hesitant at first just because she said, people in Point Pleasant who have been through this trauma from the bridge disaster really don't like having it mixed up with Mothman. You need to be very careful with that. So we explained to her what our thoughts were. She liked the idea. She posted an ad on the front page of her newspapers talking about the study, talking about what we wanted to do. Three more people came forward from that. One of those three recommended her friend. She came forward. And by then, Jeff Wamsley said, would you guys like to interview me? I'd like to be part of this too. So, I mean, that's kind of the way the whole thing developed organically. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it just kind of took off. Yes, it's nice when people come to you and say, hey, can I be part of this? Yeah, yes. Especially when he's a rock star yes. like Memphis. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, yeah, I was just, you know, because I just had a, a different random things as I was reading through it. And I was, because I wanted to get your guys' opinion. I mean, I know it's, you know, it's hard just on the spot. <laughs> what was probably, you know, I'm, you can generalize, but I mean, one area what that surprised you guys the most through these interviews? I mean, what what was the thing like, you know what you thought you're going to get, but all of a sudden it just showed up and you're just like, oh, my God, you know, I just I was not expecting this. Wow, that's interesting. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, the one thing that surprised me and it's not like the one thing I guess it's the one thing for me is how emotional some of the men got about it, recalling the the, the time period and. Um, what the town went through and how sad it was and um, being Christmas time and seeing some of the responses on people when they were talking about it. I, I remember specifically Mark, when he was talking about it, he looked over and he said, they told us there were presents floating in the water. Like, like he was still in disbelief that it had even happened. And um, other people um Rick Henley, he, he started crying. Um, it, it was very emotional. And I, and I guess I just didn't expect people to get so emotional. Susan Sayer started crying. There was, there were tears. There were a lot of tears. I mean, I, I can remember yeah. things as I was younger, traumatic things. Um, I, maybe if I were talking about it in an interview, I would cry, but I just didn't expect to see that. Now, Susan, wasn't, um, was she the one that the sister died? Sister-in-law? No, that was Linda. That was Linda. Okay. That was, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to remember. But, remember. but there that was still emotional 50 years later. Right. Very, very emotional. I'm glad you guys brought up Linda because I was thinking about this. I, I was 
I was buying time here. I'm glad Jackie started talking because I'm racking my brain for the most, you know, the, yeah. the craziest thing to come out of the whole thing that we didn't expect. During Linda's interview, yeah. um, just going through the series of questions with her, Linda's a, she's a sweetheart. We just, she's gotten to be a very good friend of ours. But as she was going through the interview, she was nervous. She really didn't want us to do video. We videoed a lot of the people. Um, and she, she'd talk and she'd answer us with the questions. And she was a great interview. But at the end of it, um, I, I asked her towards the end, I said, well, let me just kind of see if I can put myself in your position. And I went into the whole, you know, repeating the dialogue. This is what I heard you say. And as you said this, this is the way that I would be feeling. And I, you know, I'm, I'm 18 years old. I'm getting off work. It's Friday night. I'm excited for the weekend. I'm driving up to the bridge and all of a sudden the bridge is gone. And the first thing I think is this isn't real. What's going on? And then slowly I start coming to my senses and it becomes apparent, you know, this has really happened. This is just crazy. And so in interviewing her, she at that point said, you know, now that you mention it, I died. We're like, what? And she didn't say it quite like that. But what she said was she was at her mom's house and the family was gathered around. And the next thing she knew, she was waking up, I think, in her grandmother's bed. And she said, you know, where am I? What had happened was she had shut down psychologically and physically to the point that she went into a state of shock. She literally flatlined. Her brother, who lost his wife on the bridge, came yeah. over, resuscitated her, got her to the hospital like a block down the way. She flatlined a couple more times. She was revived. And obviously now at the age of 73, she's still with us. That was shocking. I mean, but I mean, really wonderful, wonderful dialogue. Yeah, especially like that. I mean, because Don, yeah, Lester just put put up there. It was the same thing about him going down to the river trying to find the wife. You yeah, know, try, find his wife, and then not only are you dealing with that, now you got to go back and revive. You know, Linda. You know, just the same time. I mean, so not only are you dealing with the loss of your wife, but you know, you're almost you almost lost another family member in the same yeah. process. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, that. Oof, yeah, that's. <laughs> That's pretty rough. Well, and then that, that gentleman who lost his wife, saved his sister's life and went on and he was working in Columbus, Ohio, and a little boy was hit by a car and he saved his life too. I mean, he literally turned into a hero. So even though he wasn't necessarily um, a subject of the study, he would talk about post-traumatic growth. You lose your wife, you save two lives in the after that. Yeah. And that was... Did, when you guys were going with that, and was there anything that su that surprised you of in that post traumatic growth aspect with some of these people? Was there anything that just like stuck out, like you know, wow, this is pretty incredible for what you went through? Because you get some people that are just like they're really pot, you know, just no matter what, there's going to be a silver lining. Mm -hmm. See what I did there? Well, yeah, slight well, plug for the book. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're psychologically planting that out there to the masses. Yeah, no, a silver that, lining. I, what I so nine of the people we interviewed were really heavily Silver Bridge focused. Two of the people we interviewed were not. They were more paranormal experiencers, and that is author and publisher Andy Colvin and his friend Harriet. And so, in the interviews that we had with the both of them, the things that came out of their growth they didn't necessarily associate their paranormal experiences with trauma, yet they were extreme experiences. Her 
Harriet had missing time. She saw a UFO. She had multiple encounters, but we only focused on the one of them for the book. But she ended up with the agent Scully marks in the back of her neck. She has over a 160 IQ now. Um, some of the things that she's been able to develop are she has a profound psychic ability. And I got to tell you, the thing that really blew us away the night we first met her on a Zoom meeting, she told us that um, she, she diagnosed a medical condition I was not aware of. She said, I'm getting some kind of a vibe from you. You've got something I, I'm, I'm feeling you've got diverticulitis, which interestingly enough, a couple of years before I'd been diagnosed with that, but it was a misdiagnosis. Three days later, I'm rushed to the hospital by ambulance for another gastrointestinal issue. So she was sensing uh, this in her very first, very first Zoom session. So she's got some really profound abilities. There are more that I could tell you about her specifically. And if we have time, I'd be happy to go into that. Or maybe Jackie could in a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, Next. I, no, go ahead, Mark. I, oh, okay. I, <clears throat> Bill, you, you, know, you just uh, gave, gave the example of um, one of your interviewees uh, saying you know, this isn't real, and you know, you're just talking about the ability to uh, diagnose others. And uh, in your book, you know, you, you, there's. A, you have all kinds of examples where people tell you, uh, like, I drew a blank. All right. Um, when, you know, I've had other opportunities to uh, be a guest with uh, Craig, Chris, and Austin. Some of the other uh, guests have uh, discussed um, their responses to like UFO abductions, uh, like you know uh, Reverend Michael Carter's uh, uh, done that, and you know he's uh, spoken a lot about um, one of the traits that emerges after uh, a unexplained event you know, you, you know you're, you're really trying to figure out what what just happened to me um, you know there there are the uh, abilities to diagnose someone or th there's um, uh, more of some kind of faith building type. The puppies have stuck. Uh, th th thing that <laughs> you, you, know, you, you need to do. Uh, you know, uh, help to make the world a, a better place. And in, you know, uh, Carolyn is, you know, uh, working at the restaurant, you know, feeding people. Yeah, I, I could see where that could be interpreted as wanting to uh, make sure that you know, people have a, a good meal to help help them get get through the day. Um, it, it, are 
a lot of the experience it, it seems like a lot of the experiences that you have in your book are very characteristic of you know what michael has uh, spoken about you can find it in uh betty and barney hills uh capture or uh, you know, the recounting of their uh, experiences in kathleen uh, martin's book captured it, it, does all this uh uh trauma and the behaviors afterwards seem uh, like it's a very consistent pattern. I would say to answer that, that there were a lot of themes that emerged that were similar. Not everybody exemplified each one of the dimensions of post-traumatic growth that we found for the study, but there was a lot of crossover. You know, a, a lot of them really did. And with the nine people who were Silver Bridge focused, you know, a lot of the common themes that emerged ended up being those dimensions, family, you know, giving back, resilience, things of that nature, uh, perspective taking. Uh, there was a lot of crossover in a lot of them. I think that when you look at a community as small and as tight as Point Pleasant, especially was back in the 1960s, it is now till still because that's one of the things that brings Jackie and me back because we feel like, you know, we belong there because people treat us like we do. And uh, I think when you have a community like that, that rallies behind people who have been through this, one of the things uh, Jimmy Wedge, who was one of our participants in the study talked about was when it became apparent that both of his mom and dad were on the bridge and his friends, it was dawning on them. And they literally, when he was standing at the riverbanks, they formed a circle around him to let him know that he had support. So, so many of those people talked about that, the friendships that you knew people had your back. Um, if you had a faith in God, it grew. If you didn't have a faith in God, you found one. And not everybody talked about that, but it was a very common theme. Yeah, that's, no, I just, it was just one of the things that I get through reading it is just, because you've, you've heard the story. I mean, is you know, simple Wikipedia search, you know, it doesn't really, Tell them that's where with your guys' book, it actually brings in the other side, you know, the actual people that have survived the tragedy, that lived through the tragedy. And it's just, and you don't get that through just, you know, simple search like into the Silver Bridge collapse. You know, you get, okay, 46, you can go through all the data and see this thing. But it's interesting when you said you, you sit down and you talk to the steakhouse owner, the one that's, you know, like I said, just through normal research, you're not going to find out that she was the one that lost a two-year-old. One thing it's just it's that's the part that's I I actually I like it when researchers do that when they actually go to these communities and sit down and just talk, you know you don't you don't have to come in with a camera crew, you know and like you know run into people's faces and like hey tell me about this thing just by actually talking sitting here and having coffee, that you know the old guy that's going to come in the beat up pickup truck is going to sit there and just you're, just through a normal conversation, he's going to give you a piece of information that you like. I'm like, really? It's like, oh, yeah, go down and talk to Bob down there at the barn. Yeah. You know, and, and it's all of a sudden you're like, holy crap. It's like, what did you find? Uh, this thing that, you know, this piece of thing from the bridge, you know, it's like now, you know, it's just that they explain where they were during the hotel. And you have something to the book that you couldn't get from other, other than just actually, for like thing, it's like boots on ground, you know, type, type thing, which is really cool. And so... Are the, are the puppies okay? 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. yeah they, um, Bill and Jackie have two new um, infants in the house, and so they they were they were they were crying for mom, and so mom had to go <laughs> had to go see them. Yeah, it's like, we're all pet friendly around here. So my my two are in the other room asleep. I think uh, they're good dogs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. It's uh, but no. It, you know, I've had a few people ask, and so did you guys through this thing? Did you guys get any information along the paranormal Mothman side that you didn't know prior to doing this book? I mean, did any new information through people come up through this, or was it pretty much a lot of the same? Just retelling of the same story go ahead well jimmy wedge um he he was did you tell him he was the oldest of i, I didn't tell him much about jimmy except okay. that he lost his mom and dad okay um <laughs> he was the oldest of the people that we interviewed and he was um like 25 years old when all of the Mothman kind of stuff was going on, 24 or something around that age. And he said that he went out to the TNT area in a Mothman costume that his mother had made for trick or treat for one of his siblings and was out there scaring Parkers. And so he claimed to be the Mothman himself. <laughs> uh, that's how you get shot. Well, but actually when, when, he, when he talked about that though, he talked about doing that back in 62 or 63. So this is prior to the whole Mothman flap. And it wasn't exactly like a Mothman outfit, but it was it was a costume, I think, of a big bird. And he went out, they would shake the bumpers of people's cars, and they would just be up there in this crazy bird suit and scare people half to death. So he takes credit for being the Mothman. But, I mean, we kind of take that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Maybe maybe he did start the whole thing off. I don't know. But he, it, was, it was a lot of fun to hear that. He, he didn't claim that he could fly you know, like a hundred miles an hour behind the mullets and scar scarberry. So yeah, yeah. He didn't have the, the piercing red eyes either. So yeah, I wonder, I was, cause I was just gonna say, I wonder if he's one of those where, you know, cause everybody knows, you know, a lot of people like eyewitness accounts can change so dramatically over oh, yeah. time. So it makes you wonder if, you know, and I, I, Bob is always my go-to name. You know, you got Bob and Gertrude are driving down the road and all of a sudden here comes, here comes Jimmy jumping out in his bird costume, you know, running across the road. You're going to have people like, oh, my God, this dark figure just flew across the road. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, how, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, I think you just saw them off me. No, you saw Jimmy. You <laughs> saw Jimmy streaking across the corn stalks. But, you know, that, that was a heck of a lot of fun hearing that. But in terms of actual, like, real witness type stuff, most of the people that we talked to were really kind of gray about that. Uh, Jeff Wamsley was the youngest guy that we interviewed. He was 60 when we interviewed him. He was, I think, six years old when the whole thing was going down. And um, he didn't remember a whole lot about it, except he does remember being in the car with his parents, going out, driving around, looking for it. He said that he thinks his dad saw him off, man, but his dad passed away, I think, in 1985. So before Jeff even got into the whole Mothman Museum business, dad was already long gone by then. But most of the people we talked to, like Linda Lane, Marva Bailey, Susan Sayer, they all remembered it, and some of them went out driving around looking for it, but they didn't see it. The only ones that actually encountered, really the only person that claimed to encounter Mothman would be Andy Colvin. And Andy didn't live in Point Pleasant. He's from the Charleston area. But he, but he also, Charleston is Mound, West Virginia, and that's just like right north of Charleston, and is now considered Charleston. Um, before Andy claims that he saw it, 
there were grave diggers in Clendenin, which is just west of Charleston, that saw it. So before the reports in Point Pleasant, there was activity south of Point Pleasant. Now, is that an, is there, because I'm looking at a picture um, of, point, I can bring it up here to kind of show people. Is there a, nu is there a nuclear power plant close by? Uh, I believe so. I believe well, I see so. a cool. I see a cooling tower uh, back in the in English, and so everybody instead of just there, being there's a, one upriver from Point Pleasant. Yeah, because you can see in this picture, right here in the up in the upper top, you see the, the large mm -hmm. larger cooling towers. So that's why I was wondering. The reason I bring that up is because that seems to be, you know, and just from what I've seen, that really seems to be a correlation between a lot of like nuclear plants and paranormal activity, UFOs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so was this plant around back in the 60s? I'm not sure if that one was around in the 60s. I know based upon Andy's writing, because he's done a lot of research into Mothman in general, but being from the Charleston area, he knew a lot more about that area than had been reported in the Mothman prophecies or really any of the other stuff that's been reported about but he has talked for years about the power plants and the organizations that ran those power plants and some of the politics that are behind them as well, too, and conspiracies behind a lot of that. But I think to answer your question, we had a lot. There are a lot of power plants that are out there, not all of them nuclear. I think maybe one of them in uh, in the Charleston area. But besides that, I mean, just with the preponderance of business and heavy industry there and pollution and things like that, it really sets a good backdrop for some type of a crime fighting deity to be showing up and heightening people's awareness of what's happening. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I, I, it's one of those, it's definitely, I, that's, it's on my bucket list to get up to point pleasant, you know, you know, I, I figure while I'm up there, I might make a little detour and say hi to a certain um, booking agent man that, you know, over there I might, I might actually have to take time to say hi to somebody that's up there in the West Virginia area as well. I guess, yeah, you know, Come on yes. out. Yeah. So I, I really want to get up there because just I hear a lot of stuff about the TNT area. The, you know, just, I, I just want to actually see it firsthand. I mean, this it's, is it's, one. Yeah. And, it, and through, you know, I'm going to show the book again here. One of the things that really has stuck out to me is, and unless, unless you guys encounter this and it wasn't in the book, I haven't really heard too many from people that resent the whole Mothman phenomenon. Because it seems like it's really brought a lot of business and a lot of life back into a town that was pretty much, that was, you know, just it was just kind of there. And then that bridge collapse really hurt them economically. It I mean, really that just, yeah, because that just basically cuts them off. You know, it really did, too. And I mean, and just to explain that a little bit. So when the, when the bridge went down, that major thoroughfare that the bridge carried, that highway, went right through Point Pleasant downtown. So all the business from commuters, not just locally, but over the road, would pass through there. They'd stop at gas stations. They'd stop at stores. They did a lot of business in town there. When that was shut down, and then subsequently the bridge was rerouted about a mile or two up south of where Point Pleasant is, at that point, all, all that traffic just went around Point Pleasant instead of going through it. So they store after store after store just closed down. What didn't close down during the bridge disaster when there was no bridge and there was only ferry service started closing down in subsequent years and decades after that. So yeah. um, Susan Sayer, in our interview with her, we kind of explored the whole idea of Mothman really kind of saving the town. You know, the legend of Mothman really saved the town because now 
they're thriving and businesses are growing where years ago they were going away. Yeah. And that, I just, at least, you know, I, I felt terrible, you know, here the, the vid shows up in 2020 and just basically screeching halt, but it looks like based off this last thing that it's back just as good, if not better than it was prior. It seems like it's really, really bounced back, which was fantastic. I mean, cause that's what I was, yeah. I was talking with Mark is just whether or not he thought, you know, this was going to be something that's going to take a while to get back or if there's something everybody's just going to clamor to get right back to it. And it seems like it was really busy. Yeah. The, the police revised the attendance from 20,000 to 25,000 for Saturday. Uh, uh, Jackie and Bill, does that sound about right? Uh, You know, you were talking about you, it, it was wall to wall, you know, everyone's going up and down the street and, you know, they're just, just you know, really packed in like sardines. That That's right. Because I was literally doing TikTok videos of the Mothman Festival to share with people that follow my account. And at one point on Saturday afternoon, I said, there has to be at least 20,000 people walking down these streets of Point Pleasant today. It was wall to wall people. It was packed. Well, and it's it's you know, like I said, the show's not com- completely about Mothman, but I'll I'll put this question up here. There's like, do you believe the land was cursed by Chief Cornstalk? Can can we just? I'm just gonna play. The, I don't know whether to call him First Nation tri- tribes. I don't know what to do. It's, it's like everything has changed nowadays. I, like I don't know what it is. Do we, so was it cursed by First Nation? I I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. Anyway, was was the land cursed? We've got a, we've got a two part answer for you, Craig. I'll do the first part, and we'll let Jackie do the second. The first part is that on our first trip, we met Mark Griffith's half sister, and her name is Lynn Robinson. And you may have seen Lynn in documentaries about Mothman. She is a descendant of Chief Cornstalk. She describes herself as seventh fire. So she's seven generations removed from Chief Cornstalk. I asked her the same question. I said, did your great, 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 great grandfather, did he curse the land? And she said, absolutely not. She said, no native would ever curse the land. We don't own the land. They took care of the land. They didn't own it. No native would ever curse the land. Secondly, during our interview with Denny Bellamy, who's another Point Pleasant icon, Denny gave us the story as well. And Let's let Jackie answer that part. So if you Google the Cornstalk curse, you'll get a word from word curse that he supposedly uttered in his dying breaths when he was shot point blank in the chest, you know, several feet from um, the soldiers that that shot him. Um, And it's quite long, actually. So anyway, what Denny told us is there was a school that was built in the 1920s, like maybe 1920, and they were tearing it down as in Point Pleasant. And there was a wall that they tore down, and there was a closet behind the wall that nobody knew existed. They opened the closet door, and on the shelves in that closet was a school play, and it was the curse of Chief Cornstalk. And when you open up the play, it has the exact curse that is on the internet. So it was a school play sometime in the 20s, 30s, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was just, I just looked it up. Yeah. The same thing. It's like, yeah, it is pretty, pretty long. Yeah. 
And I mean, literally, I, I don't know about how it is to be shot with a musket, but I think that, you know, anytime you get shot in the chest, you're not going to have a whole lot of time to be uttering this huge, long curse. Yeah, unless you're like the movies where it's one of those you do it and everybody's like, okay, it's gone. And, and then you just come back for the next one and then you're like, okay, he's gone. And it's just, and then eventually everybody's like, <laughs> and yeah <laughs> yeah it's okay so um laura said it, it's it's fine to say native tribes you know it's just so like i said okay all right good. yeah it's one of those i just never know i i said i'm gun i'm gun shy after an inter interview we had i think it was a year and a half ago two years ago where i got chastised for saying native tribes instead of first nation so now i don't know what to do oh. so I've, I've, yeah so i'm just so all right there we go so we'll just yeah i just it's one of those it's one of those mysteries it's it's i think it's like a lot of things i mean it, it's one i'm new to i'm new to this to this uh this sighting and stuff but it seems you know it's kind of one of those like the one-offs where they they seem to appear and then they're gone i even i even heard something that they thought that you know it possibly could have been something from the montauk project mm -hmm. where this is one of those things you know that got out because like the beast of montauk you know where it just this is something that got got out was there and then when they closed when it finally closed you know boom, they're gone and so i i've i've heard that theory you know same way with jersey devil you know all these ones so do, through your guys' stuff i mean do you do you feel like because we talked a little bit about it the last time you guys were on the chicago sightings you know the well, we're going to go Chicago sightings. Uh, we're going to use quotes here. Um, they, we, the take on there. So do you think this is one of those things, like in your opinion, do you think we're going to see another sighting from Mothman? Or do you think this is just one of those, like the Van Meter visitor, those type of things where this is going to be a legend and we're just not sure if we're ever going to see this entity again. Well, the, the major flap and what we're talking about primarily tonight is about 66 and 67 happenings in the mm -hmm. greater Ohio River Valley. So, I mean, that was the epicenter. That was where it all really went down back then. But there have been reports historically of, you know, big birds, Thunderbird type things, Alton, Illinois, Freeport, Illinois, Caledonia, Illinois, not just Illinois, but that's where we happen to live. So those are the ones that stick out in my head. But they're reported all over the place. And yes, there have been a lot of reports that have come out of the greater Chicagoland area over the last decade. Um, in terms of something that I would feel that would be a legitimate you know, manifestation of Mothman, I do think it's possible because I think whatever Mothman is or was, it kind of defies explanation. I don't think we're ever going to really be able to tangibly put it into some little box. I think it yeah. operates higher on the totem pole than we do, frankly. And it's it's of a different of a different uh, energy level or a different spiritual nature or what have you that sometimes crosses over into our reality, and that's what happened, I think, in Point Pleasant. Yeah, because we're gonna like on the back there, you know, like but flips the narrative that Mothman is evil, and that's one of those things. It looks, and that was kind of one of my questions. The kind of the reason why I preface that is through your interviews. How many people would you say you know came through where? the Mothman was almost like a symbol of hope, you know, to where this was, this was not something that was, this was an omen. This was something of evil. This was something that they felt it had more of a positive impact than it was something that, you know, a forbearer of doom, you know, it was just, a, you know, showed up the bridge collapse, you know, it's his fault. It was like, no, 
some like a watcher almost type thing where just somebody just came and saw it i don't recall anyone thinking that mothman was evil um andy colvin said that he thought that perhaps it was a garuda which is a buddhist um for the thunderbird a symbol of the thunderbird um as far as most of the people it was just kind of like a fun thing to do. Denny Bellamy did state that, I mean, running out, you know, going out and seeing if they could find Mothman. That was the big thing then, you know, driving over the TNT, mm -hmm. taking a look for it. And I think if they thought it was evil, they wouldn't be doing that. Um, Denny, Denny Bellamy said that, that the West Virginians had two questions. One, if we see it, can we shoot it? And two, if there's more than one, can we shoot more than one? <laughs> I know. It's strange. What do we do? Shoot it. I was like, no. no. Yeah. yeah, and Harriet didn't see Mothman, but she did see a UFO, and she's had all kinds of other experiences. But she's never attributed any of them to anything she perceived as evil. And like Jackie said, most of the folks that talked about it either thought it was just like comic relief or they were genuinely interested. They wanted to go find it. It was exciting. That's what yeah. Charlene Westwood told us. She said it was exciting when that was going on. It was really fun. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it would be almost a perfect distraction in the way, too. It's like you yeah. just had a major tragedy. And then, but it's just like something this way. I mean, it would just, you know, it's like, no, there's this, you know, this entity that was seen on the same thing. It's like, really, you know, and now you can get, that's something to focus on instead of just try, reliving the images in your head. So, I, I mean, I could see how that would definitely be, you know, there would definitely be a positive aspect to seeing this, the, par you know, the UFO sightings. I mean, God's sakes, I want to see one so bad. I really so, do. Can, can I respond to Harlan's uh, question? Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Harlan said, I don't recall a Thunderbird being in Buddhism. And no, I agree. Thunderbird's not part of Buddhism. What Jackie was saying is that uh, there's an equivalent in Eastern religion in Buddhism known as the Garuda. And the Garuda was at the top of the list for what John Keel thought Mothman could be. Could be and yeah. What she yeah. was saying basically is that it, it has some similar correlations to the Thunderbird in native lore, that it's kind of a similar concept. It, it operates higher in the spectrum than we do as human beings. And that it's, it's basically seen as more of a benevolent force. At worst, it's neutral, but not evil. But it, yeah, you say uh, the Garuda is a stabilizer of knowledge and enlightened states of awareness or, or, or Andy said that but if um you know, the mothman and garuda are you know like different words for the same thing it's almost like saying like bigfoot and skunk ape are about the same thing too that's a fair yeah i think it's a fair statement I think I think it comes down to perception. I mean, people mm -hmm. see things differently. So, you know, I could see Mothman and somebody else could see a Garuda or a Thunderbird or you can see Bigfoot and I see a big hairy ape, you know? Well, Page 160 of their book covers that. There's a chapter that talks about the Garudas. And if I had remembered from my reading, it actually talked about the carbide plant. You know, and that's Carbide's nuclear reactor. So, mm -hmm. 
that answers my own question that I put on there. Yeah, yeah. Andy's chapter is one, <laughs> one of the longer interviews. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like... Dude's got some awesome theories. I mean, he really does. Yeah. I was like, it, it, I, I could have answered my own question. You did. You did. <laughs> He's a really interesting guy. We actually meet with him on um, Thursday nights. It's just like a thing that we do now since we interviewed him. And uh, we just have really good conversations. He is very interesting. Yeah, he actually came to the Mothman Festival just to hang out with us. We didn't even just know he was coming. Us. He was yeah. there just to support us. He surprised which us. Which we oh, thought well, was cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That, did, how, how did it go? I mean, did you have you guys got a really good response to the book? I mean, have you, have you really... You know, like a lot of people, because you took it there to think. I mean, was it a p- real positive experience with people buying the book from you guys? I, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in fact, we talked earlier about what Saturday was like. And on Saturday, we absolutely, I mean, I, I thought we didn't have enough books there because as people started coming through the lines and we were starting to sell three, four or five of them, you know, every 15 minutes, I thought we're going to run out. Now, that that kind of hit an apex <laughs> <laughs> earlier than I was hoping. And yeah. And trickled off. But what I can tell you is that Saturday, I mean, in terms of book sales, it was very strong. Saturday night, we gave our presentation, which was pretty well attended. And we were kind of, I joked about this, we were the last presentation before they went into the movie part of things. So either they saved us to be the headliner, or they put us at the bottom because they wanted to get the good guys out first and get more people in there. I think it was just like the draw. Whatever it was, we had a nice audience. We had a great response. And really probably the best thing in my opinion, that happened on the whole trip was an experience that we had that really was Jackie-focused. And I'd like you to tell them a little bit about that. Oh, well, at the end of our presentation, we had a slide that said, we need your help because we are throwing, you know, tossing around these ideas of what our next project is going to be. And one of our ideas was to do a study on people that have suffered abuse, sexual abuse, and paranormal activity and the post-traumatic growth from that, the outcome from that. And some lady came up when we were done and I was talking or doing something I didn't see her. And so Bill was going to talk to her and she's like, you know, had her mouth covered and she's pointing at me. And I had shared shared that my sister and I shared a bedroom when we were younger and that we know that sexual abuse is very touchy and abuse is very touchy subject. And I used to see heads on the dresser when I was growing up and I would like peek out from my covers and they would be there every night. And I was scared to death and I would just bury myself under my covers. And a few years ago, my sister that I shared a bedroom with, I was telling her about it. And she said, I saw the heads too. She's my older sister, um, older than I am. And um, she didn't tell me because she didn't want me to be afraid. You know, bigger sister Mm -hmm. protects the younger sister. So she didn't share this information with me until a few years ago. What what was going on in our life at that time was my dad was an alcoholic and he beat everybody in our family but me because I was the youngest. And um, so we had an abusive household. But then what I learned after that, as we got older, is my uncle was sexually abusing the sister that shared a bedroom with me. So we had two forms of abuse going on in our family house. And we had paranormal activity going on at that time as well. And so when I saw her, I said, you saw the heads too. And she's like, yes, but she also saw snakes. And she said that she did not even remember any of that until I started sharing the story and talking about my experience with it. Wow. Yeah. And the the really cool thing about her was she shared with us, you know, I've, I've got five kids. I'm going through a divorce. I felt like I needed to come here 
I camped out in the TNT area by, by myself <laughs> in the freaking TNT area. I mean, which is where all these native, you know, grounds were and the Mothman were seen. I mean, she, what a brave, what a brave person. I thought she was much younger than she was. She's 39, but she and Jackie just totally clicked. And I, we just thought that that was an awesome occurrence to take place as a result of being there and, and having those shared experiences. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, it's, it's one of those you almost feel like it was, you know, I don't know if you want to say destiny. It was like, it was definitely the paths were meant to cross. And so that's, that's where I go. And I was, as you were describing that, I was just thinking too, it's like, you know, with, in that study, do you think that there's anything to, especially when somebody has suffers, you know, sexual abuse, you know, severe trauma like that, that some of the stuff, you know, that it's almost, you know, I don't know if I want to say it was like the Dybbuk box where something you know is manifested through you know through the creation it's like the trauma you actually end up creating something to as as a coping mechanism or as something i because i'm trying to have my mind is just blank tonight but i'm just trying to remember there's one i want to say it was like a haunted doll or something there's one of those stories where the kid created this as a protector and now it's one of those really like you know you don't want to mess with this doll you know type things i mean this is one of those that but this, and I wondered if that's going to be the case, like when you guys do these things, if you're going to find that to where people actually, you know, almost create the very thing that's causing the paranormal activity as a way of protecting themselves or coping. So this, this concept crossed my mind a few years ago is before I even knew that Jackie had seen heads in the dresser, because if she had mentioned it, I didn't remember it. And that's one of those things you wouldn't normally forget especially being paranormally oriented like I have been for most of my life. But uh, I had heard somewhere that one of the most profound ways to basically engage demonic activity is through the abuse of a child. Kids that have been abused, I don't know if it creates some type of a vacuum or if that opens up portals to the demonic or if perhaps the kids summon up something to defend themselves spiritually that they're not even conscious of. I, I really believe that kids and elders who are getting closer to the end of their life are more in tune with that next world or previous world than we are when we're living our workaday existences. So, I mean, what I had heard about that got me thinking about the whole idea of sexual abuse and paranormal activity. But then when Jackie told me about her story with the heads on the dresser, we began talking about that. When she listed the different categories of things we wanted to do for our next book, it became a no brainer when she connected with this young lady at the Mothman Festival. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely what we have to do now. Yeah, we so, have to do it. So we are going to be looking for volunteers for that study. And so just so I can say this before the show ends, um, anyone that wants to participate in that can participate anonymously. Harriet was anonymous in our study. That's not her real name. Um, so they're, they're, they can be anonymous. We'll protect their anonymity. It is... The, you know, Silver Bridge, the interviews with the uh, people that had uh, some kind of connection with the bridge and the trauma afterwards, and this new project uh, you'll be working on. And, you know, in both uh, books, you're focusing on the uh, post-traumatic growth is that concept um, being accepted by 
the uh, psychological community and academia? It is actually uh, post-traumatic growth is kind of a concept that was, it was formulated by a couple of psychologists at the University of Pennsylvania, um, Tadishi and Calhoun, uh, Richard Tadishi and Lawrence Calhoun. And they began their studies into post-traumatic growth 25, 30 years ago. So within the psychological community, it's a relatively recent construct, but it's really gained a lot of ground and specifically within the positive psychology community. Positive psychology is the, the ideology that I personally and Jackie both, we espouse that whole idea of overcoming our circumstances and not just overcoming them, but becoming something better than we were before because we've been through those experiences. And as long as you can root yourself in your experience and share that experience with other people, you can help them get to the next level in their lives as well, too. They can see you either as a reference point, somebody to bounce ideas off of, or gosh, if Bill can do it, I know I can do it. That kind of a thing, you know. And so, yeah, it, it really is being accepted. It's gathering more and more momentum as years go by. And I'm looking really forward to seeing where positive psychology and PTG research goes in the future. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, you know, another show I helped with a couple years ago uh, was with uh, Dr. Rita Louise. Uh, she she had just come out with her book on um, the uh, dance with the uh, narcissist. I, 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 I think I have the title wrong, but uh, you know, somewhere in her book, she was uh, talking about you after so, some kind of event. Uh, it's usually a childhood event. You, you can make some decisions, you know, uh, you process it in such a way that you can uh, have a post uh, traumatic growth from it. Uh, she uh, was also arguing that if you don't uh, get the appropriate help, you know, you don't know what you're doing and you want to manage it on your own, it can easily become very self-destructive uh, and uh, you know, ha ha create a lot of problems for everyone around you. So uh, yeah, that, that's another sh show where similar information was discussed, and 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 it really boils down to a lot of how the experiencer processes it. And you, you do have that in towards the uh, end of your book with the self determination theory. Yeah. In, um, in self-determination theory, it's all a matter of wanting, wanting to grow. Um, you're talking about the way you process trauma. And one of the things that we talked about in the book was there's two different types of rumination. There's deliberate rumination where we're going into something and, and basically looking at what the circumstances were. Like I went through a divorce earlier in life before Jackie and I met. And during that process, I to deconstruct from it, I'd need to look at the elements, the play, part that I played, the part that economics played, the part that extended family played, all those types of things to arrive at some type of a, of an acceptance of the situation for what it was, and then to have that ability and desire 
to move on. You know, one of the things when I when I did my dissertation, it was also about post-traumatic growth, but it was about the post-traumatic growth that a man can gain by going through the divorce process. And I interviewed nine guys and we talked about that and we arrived at this common ground of what they actually were able to accomplish in going through that difficult process. But it all comes down to how do we look at it? How do we cope with it? How do we deal with it? Who do we bring into the mix to help us? Do we ask for help from maybe a counselor or the community or a minister or from God directly? How do we go about that? Or do we just take on that identity that I went through the divorce court, she's got the kids, I'm paying alimony for the rest of my life and everything sucks and it's all her fault. That's not the way I wanna live my life. And to a person, none of the guys I interviewed did either. And they all grew as a result of going through the process. Now, you were saying um, that self-determination theory, too. I was saying through through these interviews and stuff, have you started noticing um, in a way, I'm trying best word way to phrase it, almost like a trait, something that would be a marker that would show somebody who is more like pre, you know, as a predetermined, my mind is just not jello today. Somebody that's pre, uh, like a predisposition, you know, I think is that the right word? Somebody yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, somebody that's, you know, to where you can see it's like this person, I'm, I'm pretty sure this person is going to be able to, you know, find the silver, you know, find the silver linings. I did it again. You know, they're going to be able to do, they're going to be able to get the same. I mean, were you, have you started to find these markers where you're able um, to do this research where kind of almost like a psychologist when you're going through, you're going to be like, eh, this guy's going to make it. I've got two key words I want to share with you, but I want to hear what Jackie thinks first. No, go ahead. Well, you want me to do it? Yeah, go ahead. The first word that came to mind was hardiness. You're having the ability to tough it out, to gut through something. And what we did, uh, and you guys have both read the book, so there's a literature review section early on in the book where we go into psychological theory and we go into post-traumatic growth as it's manifested in different studies. And one of the studies that we used that was really foundational for the book was about the hardiness of the Appalachian people and specifically the economically depressed folks in in Appalachia. That's not everybody, but the ones that really had it rough. And what they found with a lot of those folks was the hardiness they had to be able to tough through things was remarkable compared to a lot of other areas in the country. um, There were all kinds of different things that presented from that. So hardiness is the first one. The second one that pops into my head is resilience which is real similar to hardiness, but it's having that flexibility to maybe when something happens to me, not just react to it, but to take a step back and to look at three or four different options and then to go into them deliberately rather than just reacting and diving into something. That's something that Andy Colvin talked about was being able to take a position backwards and look at four or five different things before he responded even to a question, which he's also an Appalachian guy too. So that's another part of it. Yeah, because I know you, I saw like, um, it's page 292 in the book too, is you talk about coping flexibility. Yep. And that's, yes. you know, so that was one of those things too. And that's, and I was just curious if through those things, if you're starting to do almost like the Freudian thing where you're actually just through the study, you're actually able to start identifying the people where you can just do the makeup, like psychological makeup and say, yeah, these, you know, these guys, I'm, I'm able to look through these people as we're talking to them. I'm like, this person's going to be able to make it. This person, you know, we're going to, Right here, you know, we need to get this person some help, you know, just, you know, go through there. I mean, does that seem to be, you're really starting to fine tune this process now? 
Well, I think in what we did, it was really more of a matter of just really asking them the basic questions and having conversational dialogue with them. Every one of them was resilient. And some of them illustrated more resilience and more hardiness and more of these other character traits than others did. But they all, they all had some really fine qualities that helped them to get through what they dealt with. Don, that is great. Yeah, that's the thing. And that, that was the thing. It's just, it was, I noticed that too. It was just, it seemed to be most of these people, they had, they had this ability to just, you know, it was like, this is horrible. This is horrible. But I learned to move, you know, on. And as I said, it seems like these people, they took this thing and it was almost like it gave them a focus. You know, and absolutely, Don, that's a great point because we've got Denny Bellamy, who's been on 60 different documentaries now. And he, he took us out to his property and showed us where he's going to subdivide it and develop cabins and have people come in and basically pay for his retirement, <laughs> which is awesome. We've mm-hmm. got Jeff Wamsley, who runs the Mothman Empire. It is an empire. I, it, he is doing very, very well. Super humble guy, awesome guy, good friend of ours, but very successful. Andy Colvin has a fantastic publishing business. He's done quite well. Harriet is a retired psychotherapist. She's traveling Europe right now as we speak. So, yeah, I mean, there were some really high levels of success. Jimmy Wedge, I mean, he talked about, hey, I've had a good life. I'm not a millionaire, but I'm pretty close. <laughs> and he's the guy that lost yeah. both mom and dad. So, I mean, yeah, at least half of the people we talked to have done very, very well. And the rest of them are very happy in their lives. And, and to say that you're happy in your life, that means more than financial success does. Oh, absolutely. Complacency and, and just, hey, you know what? I've lived a good life and I'm really happy with it. They all did. Yeah, it's, that, that was, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, there's a lot of people you see there. There's a lot of wealthy people that they're miserable. I mean, they, they, it's money does not equal, you know, happiness. I mean, we all want more money. I mean, I'm, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, you know, if that if that pile of cash suddenly showed up on the front door, I'm not going to say no. But, <laughs> but uh, you're. Uh, you know, bridging this, uh, the tragedy, um, it's, you know, it's, it's so, someone's looking for, you know, you know, an interesting read, you know, kind of, um, you might be looking for, you know, a new, um, um, ideas on the mothman okay you might get a little uh ancillary information in there but you know your book is really a a very insightful book for uh people who may be reluctant to ask for help uh but they can get your book and read it and see so many uh, success stories like you know, the examples you were just talking about or where uh, um, people lost you know, family members on the bridge. And, you know, you know, they just felt like helpless kids, but over time they were able to process what happened and go on to be successful in whatever career they chose. It's really a 
uplifting book. We, we felt so highly of Carolyn Harris that we really dedicated the book primarily to her. Not just her, but the people of West Virginia who we've come to be close to and those we don't know yet, but we know the next time we go, we're going to make more friends when we're there. So, I mean, they, they overcame really tragic circumstances. And for anybody who doesn't know the size of the population in that greater region, it's seven, maybe 8,000 people tops spanning both sides of the river. So to lose 46 people, that's a big, a big portion of the population. And as was told to us, if you didn't know somebody who was on the bridge, you knew somebody who knew somebody who was on the bridge. Everybody knew somebody close enough that it hit home very, very deeply. But to be able to rebound from that as a community, to go through the physical trauma of losing those people, the financial trauma of losing their income sources, to becoming economically devastated, to grow up basically from the ashes, really since 2002 and three, when the movie came out, brought all the all the notoriety to the town again. And then Jeff and Carolyn started that festival. That's where it all started from. And now it's just growing and thriving. And what a fun, rewarding place it is to visit. We, like I say, we've been there every year since 2016. And, and I can't see us missing a year for the rest of our lives. Oh yeah, I, I, I gotta get there. <laughs> That's a yeah, I was just, I was just looking here. It looks like yeah, it was it was somewhere around yeah, about that like I said, that population was right around that four to five thousand range during the sixties. And so yeah, I mean you're talking when you lose one percent of the population. It's a lot of people. You know, <laughs> that, that's that's that that's not something that goes unnoticed by anybody. And Don no, mentioned Don mentioned in our comments too, for such a small slice of Americana, look at all the good things that came out of that. Do we do we have time? Can I share with you what the dimensions are? I'd be happy to share those. Yeah, yeah. So in our study, you know, we had, you know we talked about this a little bit at the beginning. We took meaning units from each one of the quotes. We had twenty two hundred and I think ninety five initial codes. So that's each one of the statements we took a meaning unit out of that. And basically, you know, Mark Griffith said, you know, this lady said something to me about the big bird, and he said, oh, geez, why would you tell a kid something like that? So we pulled out, you know, basically shock, horror, or what have you from that statement. We went through every statement and pulled those things out. From there, we categorized them down into 110 focus codes or categories that we whittled down to 15 different dimensions of post-traumatic growth. And what those dimensions are were appreciation for life, sense of community, entrepreneurialism, family, gratitude, memorial, Optimism, patience, perseverance, personal development, perspective taking, positive reflections, preparedness, responsibility, and spiritual development. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's that, I mean, if that doesn't just go correlate with pretty much what we've been talking about, where everybody seems to have that, you know, I don't know if you saw the comment right there. Uh, it's there where you can see these people that just, it, I mean, it was, I mean, perseverance, you know, entrepreneurs, like you said, mayor, businessmen. I mean, you just had all these people that did, they seemed to take this thing and it was almost like a prism. They just focused and they were just like, we're going to move forward. We're not going to, you know, we're, this is going to hold us back. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it was it definitely is really cool how you guys broke that down. I'm trying to find the things to, that was the same thing. I just, 
the initial coding samples that you have here. You have all the tables. The, the, the page for that one is 271. And while you're looking at that, let me just answer Don's question. I've considered that before, but I was born in August of 1967, about four months and a week before the bridge collapsed. So the timeline doesn't line up for me to have been somebody who was on the bridge. But I think it's a great question. Maybe you soul jumped. You think so? You could have. I could have. Yeah, that was... I was going to say, because, you know, time is not, you know, time is our construct. It's not one of those. Yeah. So it's, it's the, no, I don't know. That's, that, that would definitely be one of those weird things if that, if that was one of those things where there was an immediate connection. Like that, that's a whole different show. Do we have a minute or do you have to let us go? No, no, you're good. You're good. We got a couple minutes. There's something I do want to share with you about this, because this is something really important and very personal to me. And that is, um, I, I totally just, I fell in love with Carolyn. I really did. And my wife's not jealous. She knows it's not that kind of a thing. Yeah. But um, she made a mean steak. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 fell, I fell in love with <laughs> for any For anybody who's seen uh, Small Town Monsters, uh, Point Pleasant, uh, what's it called? The Mothman of Point Pleasant, that special that came out in 2017. At the end of it, Jeff is in the museum and he's, he's kind of... He's got a push broom and he's cleaning up and he's doing a little bit of talking. And at the very end of it, with the music that comes on and played in minor keys, it says for Carolyn. And I couldn't figure out why it was that whenever I saw that happen with that music playing, I would burst into tears. And I knew that I just, like I said, I fell in love with Carolyn. But what I didn't, what I wasn't conscious of until later on was that I had Carolyn intertwined in my memories with the great grandmother who raised me. So yeah. when Carolyn died, it was like experiencing that death of basically the lady who served as my mom until I was mm -hmm. 17 years old. So there was that emotional connection. So if there was any kind of a reincarnation, there was some type of an affiliation between Carolyn and my great grandmother. That probably would be what it would be. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, I, I could definitely I could definitely see how that'd be because it's one of those, you know, love doesn't have to just be a romantic thing. You know, as I said, it's it's one of the there's one of those things you get, you get basically, it's like there's a soul connection with people. And it's just, cause we've all had that where we've gone up to somebody and just instantly, you just start talking to them. Like you've known them for years mm -hmm. and you know, you don't know why, you know, when it comes to the part, you're just like, you know, man, I love this person. You know, I love this guy. You know, it doesn't mean you're just, you're, you're like, yeah, I think he's hot. You know, or it's like, I think she's hot. You know, no, you're like, you're like just genuinely you have that, connection i mean there's just like everything is just intertwined i mean there's just, and you can't explain it i mean it'd be the same thing it's like why why do we find those just out of random people you know and it's, I, I could definitely see how that could be you could just have that one where you walk in and you guys just instant bond i mean it was just like like magnets you just and then next thing you know you guys are just it, it's just like yeah we got to go to point pleasant why i gotta see carol yeah, so I imagine that that hits you probably pretty hard when you found out she died. Oh, well, it was horrible. On on yeah. that note, Mark Griffith, um, literally, my brother passed away at fifty six of a heart attack in the middle of the night, and he was born in fifty eight. Mark was born in fifty eight. Mark looks so much like my brother that it's eerie. That every time we go to Point Pleasant. It's very hard on me emotionally to spend time with Mark, although I love spending time with Mark, but it feels like a piece of me is spending time with my brother. And uh, I'm not I'm not a normal person to take a nap 
the last the last few a couple I don't know when it was, but we went to Point Pleasant and did some interviews, had breakfast or lunch with Mark, and I literally fell asleep in the front seat of the car afterwards because I was emotionally exhausted from saying goodbye to him again. And it says I'm starting to get teary eyed just thinking about it because there's that same type of thing there. He acts like my brother. He looks like mm -hmm. my brother. It's just weird. It's like my brother split and part of him lived in Mark and the rest of them died. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I'm right there with it. I, I can't, I would. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. But no, it's what a perfect place to stop. I like that. I like that. It's like, it's like perfect. So one of the things I want to show people too is, you know, the way you can get this book one real easy way is go to Amazon. And then as you're there, you go right down here, click follow. Bing! Right there. And all of a sudden, you, you gain a follower. And if you purchase right now, you get free delivery. Um, at least in my area, you get by Friday. You can have it right here. So it's, yeah, definitely get Amazon. Um, I will definitely give, be giving you guys a review. I'm so bad on timing. So just don't, don't, don't hold me to that. I'm just... It was the only one that I, the only one that I did almost immediately because I was afraid was Miss Aida. I was like, "Don't curse me!" <laughs> <laughs> like, so I, did, I like book, book review, but yeah, it was just a. No, it's I. I'm bad about it, but uh, definitely. I mean, you guys, very good job with the book. Very Thanks. good job. Thank you. Yeah, hey, can, I, can I just mention anyone that doesn't have an Amazon account that doesn't use Amazon, they can just contact us on Facebook and we can ship them. A book for twenty dollars, also. Yeah, and we're happy to sign it to anybody who wants us to do that. We'd be more than happy to do that. My my copy is reserved, so that way I can meet you guys in person, and then I can. All right. All right. Then that way, that way I can, I can yeah, get Craig, my. See yeah, you Craig, you need to come up. Yeah. I know. I I've got I've got to make the tour. I've got a few people I've got to go see up in there in the northeast, and so I've got to find some time and just do a do a tour. It's gonna it's gonna. Well, I will say this: I'm a little bit more of an introvert at heart than an extrovert, and I don't like crowds. And we were never going to go to the Mothman Festival because of him, because of me, and and I had a blast there. I had an absolute blast there. It was so much fun. I yeah, I, I I've got to I got to see it. I mean, you like it when you go to these crowds where everybody's. It's like. I don't, I don't even want to really say it's like a Comic-Con type thing. It's just where everybody's got this, everybody's got the same, they're there together. There's not like individual things. Everybody's just there for it. Yep. And there's something about, about those events where it's just, you're able to be yourself. You don't, there's no, yeah, you don't well, have to put on a show. And, and there's, an, there are enough activities going on at the Mothman Festival to appeal to anyone. There's, you know, the great speakers, you know, just get getting into the museum, what you know, just dressing up you know, for Halloween in September. There, you know, it, it attracts people of all kinds of interests, and everybody's happy to be there. And you get yeah. to meet you get to meet people like Nick Redfern, Kyle Blackburn, Lyle Blackburn. Um, Ken Gerhardt. Tyler Strand walked past and stopped, and we talked with Tyler Strand, got pictures with them. I mean, it's like you just don't know what's going to happen. Ken is right there. It was, it was just awesome. Yeah. And everybody you was. picture right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's right back there. I've got, I've, got, I've got a picture of him on one, on one side and Andy Colvin on the other side. 
Nice. Well, yeah, we had a great time. Yeah, Je Jeff really does get excellent speakers. Yeah, and we missed everybody because we were busy manning our our tent the whole time. So we didn't get a chance to see anybody. Next time we take people to sell our book for us. Yeah. <laughs> we want to be there. part of the action. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we'll need help next year. All right, Mark. You just got a job. <laughs> you, got, you got a man in the booth. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> now, uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we do need to uh, keep, keep Steve busy as well with something he I think Jeff's keeping Steve pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's running around. He was emceeing like last minute. He's like, I just found out I'm emceeing. <laughs> okay, well, you know, he, we need to keep him in line. I, 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 <laughs> he invited he invited us to come down uh, for for like a you know weekend uh, when 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 he's working at the Mothman Museum. So. Uh, it's always nice to get uh, Steve's insights and maybe head, head a couple blocks up the road after it closes for the night and go to the village pizza. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We did that last year when we, we attended the mock festival after they canceled it, we went anyway and we hung out there at the village pizza. We sat down with the Frick brothers, Tim mm -hmm. and John and a couple of other folks. And Steve was in there with, Mark Randall, the creative artist, and uh -huh. we, we we visit with Steve every time we're around him as well. <laughs> He's fun. Yeah, uh, Mark Mark Randall's a very talented artist. Nice guy too. Uh -huh. I get, I know you guys. It's it's on the count. I've got to do it. I've just it's like I got to do it in September. It's just being in Florida. That's one of the worst times too. Because my job now. Yeah, got hurricanes. No kidding. You got to book your room now. In fact, they might be taken up already. Yeah. My well, my problem is is hurricane season with my job. If there's a hurricane, I get called in. Oh, uh, yeah. So it, it, September is a horrible month for that. That's it is an absolute crapshoot on whether or not your vacation is going to be safe. Just so anybody, lady, to make sure there's protection around Florida. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I get Miss Aida. It's just I need a blessing. Yeah, I, I want to go to Point Pleasant. I need a blessing. Yeah, there you go. So most likely, what I'll end up having to do is it'll probably be in February or March, and I'll just go up there. And it won't be the festival, but I'll get to see the town and do stuff like that. So hey, sir, I'll, I'll have to let us know when you go, and we might very well come out there and meet you. If we can, yeah, we, uh, would that be awesome? Just have a whole meet and greet, just everybody, just just go, just just bombard the diner, oh, just, yeah. just take take up all the tables. Yeah, absolutely. That would be that would be fantastic. So yeah, Laura, thank you for that. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Next, so we're we're going to definitely do this, but everybody. Pick up a book, Bridging the Tragedy, Silver Linings in the Mysterious Ohio River Valley by Bill and Jackie Casulis. Uh, like I said, you guys, fantastic book. Good job. Thank you. Thanks. Good job. Thanks for having us. I said, oh, yeah. Like I said, definitely um, let, let me know when the next book's done. Absolutely. We will. Like I said, we'll, we'll definitely do that. And so, all right. Well, here, um, before I before I get too far in, I, like I said, I showed them before. I want everybody to see this. And like I said, this was made to us by. Uh, it goes by Christopher Maverick. This is a ginger squatch um, picture. So we're going to, um, we're working on a sticker. We're going to be working on a sticker. So like, since I nicknamed Austin ginger squatch. And so this kind of, this is kind of, he made this for us. So that's going to, that's the need. So I don't know. We'll have to figure out some way to have that up on there. So that's the, 
that's that's the way he made that for us and he he goes prometheus delta you know on instagram you can hit him up if you're interested in having any artwork done you know we really appreciate him doing that for us uh, Laura, yeah i know i thought i thought it was pretty pretty good he hit it on it pretty real well so i said i I definitely do, do like that. So, all right, you guys. Well, hey, thanks again. Get get to those get to those little those little babies. I'm sure they want mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're desperate. You know, it's two puppies. Lab mixes, right? Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah, that's yeah. Those those are some needy. Those are some needy ones. Those yeah, lab those are. labs are ama amazing partners. Yeah. I said, hopefully they're not chewing on something right now because that's the other thing I like to do. <laughs> they love that. Yeah, you come back and you're like, I know this chair had four legs. I do know this. <laughs> we know this wall didn't have a hole in it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure there was molding on this floor around around this area at one point. It is, it is I just love the guilt look when they're just like, yeah. like it was you. <laughs> yeah, they give themselves away. So everybody, like I said, check them out. Like I said, everybody, check us out on social media. Like, follow, subscribe get this thing share out this show and before i get too far did you guys have anything you want to plug like sites or anything or i forget well we have a phenomenology research professionals facebook page that people can okay. follow us on and um they can follow us on facebook also and um or contact us through our email 2022 prp at gmail.com all right i'm wanting i'm wanting to give you guys proper thing there too so like i said hit them up for the book or go to amazon let's get those book sales going people i said this we're really good i appreciate everybody at the show but like i said like subscribe share do all that stuff comments the comments are great that's so that's what seems to really help with the 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 mighty algorithm that controls our lives like yeah. social media because youtube youtube seems to be seems to be a little bit better of an option than facebook when it comes to sometimes with the algorithm because i don't know i don't know how you can have a 12 people watching live and it shows you have 32 views. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, like I said, it makes no sense, but yeah, check us out for merchandise, um, including up and coming ginger squash merchandise that might be coming on there. Yeah. Redbubble.com forward slash three beards podcast, or go to three beards and hit the merchandise section and you can find it there. We are rebroadcast every Wednesday on ERRT radio courtesy of Ron at 11 p.m. Wednesday, uh, he's, I said, we really appreciate him doing that. But, I mean, this, everybody just, thanks for watching. Going to have some great show ne next week. We're going to be talking about John D. And the Hellfire Club. And oh, fun. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then the following day, I'm going to be on with Joey Medea. We're going to be doing our Sinister Ministry, <clears throat> Ministries, Mysteries. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's a Freudian slip. And I, Little thing, I've been really seriously talking about you know not doing that joke religion beardoism. I really needed, I really needed you know put that on paper. I think I think that would be funny. That that would be some merchandise stuff right there too. <laughs> but yeah, so we're you know, um, sinister um, mysteries. We're going to be talking about um, Sir Roger Bacon as well. So it's just going to be kind of back to back. So we're going to be doing that, and then the following week after that, we're going to be talking apocalypse. You know, pre previous things plus current, th you know, just kind of just an all-in-one with the guys, Tom, Carlito, Brian M. Bowden. We're going to get together and we're going to have that. So everybody check that out. But once again, like I said, please go support Bill and Jackie. Like I said, you know, make, get the pick up the book for them. Like I said, they're willing to even pick up an autographed copy. Just reach out to them on Facebook. So you guys 
Go take care of those puppies. Thanks again for being on the show, and we will see you later on. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Mark.